Lord, your word does reveal who you are. That's so important for our perspective of life. We're, We're made in your image to know you and to walk with you, to glorify you and to enjoy you. Certainly your word reveals you as the great almighty creator. You made all things. And in that, you are the authority. And we do answer to you. There is an appointed time where our lives will be done. And after that is the judgment. We must stand before our creator. But your word also reveals to us that you are father. And in that, you promise and show the way and provide for a relationship with you that's real and personal. Oh God, draw us into that understanding. May this not just be a rule book, a code of ethics, morality, but Lord, may we want you. And thank you that you've given us through Jesus Christ and the gospel, your perfect righteous sacrifice on the cross as payment for our sin in place of us being there. You redeemed us. You bought us. You restored us. You reconciled us. We have redemption. May these things be such that it would move us to say thank you, Lord, and we love you like you've loved us. So stir in our hearts now, and may we be drawing near to you, knowing that you will draw near to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it occurred to me uh, a long time ago, probably high school, I think, maybe somewhere along there, uh, that rules, though necessary, aren't sufficient. You can't just get by by keeping the rules. It's not a matter of just uh, a morality thing where we, we're, we're, we're doing good because we're, we're doing good. That's not enough. And I, was re- I realized that knowing me, if there was a way to get around the rule or no one was watching, <laughs> I'd disregard it. Are you all standing in judgment of me right now? You're the same way. My kids, uh, when, when I became a parent, it was so obvious to me. My, my kids, if, if, if I wasn't watching, they'd defy the rule right there, just that fast. And it's just my kids that are that way, correct? I mean, if, if, there was, if I said, don't touch that, I turn away, they touch that. It's just human nature. And we can have all the rules and all the, all the reactions against those who don't keep those rules, but there has to be more. Today, we're going to complete our study here in, in Galatians of the Fruit of the Spirit. And all of these elements are essential in the Holy Spirit's work in us, in our lives, and for the cause of Christ, for the testimony of Christ. These are the things that the world needs to see. If our light is to shine before men, it's going to be because of this fruit of the Spirit, something that God is doing within us. All of these are essential. And if He is at work in us, this is what He will do. Love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth. Also, my job today is to help us make sense of why this is so important, this fruit of the Spirit. We need to see what difference 
truly in our lives this Spirit of God does make in us. And we'll come to this phrase at the end of verse 25, verse 23. Against such there is no law. Against such there is no law. Why is that there? Will you quote with me, as you see in the scriptures there, your verses, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let's just quote the fruit of the Spirit together in a quick review. But the fruit of the Spirit, say it out loud with me, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there, these things there is no law. Did I just mess it up? Okay. Against such things there is no law. In your bulletin, you have a, a place to be able to follow through with, follow along with several of the definitions of these words that we've just worked on. And I believe definitions are really important. And I would trust that you would work on your definitions of those words. Take it further than what, what we've come up with on that page. But that's just a resource to go back and review these. But the last two that we're looking at here in, in verse 23... I think these are, these are undervalued features of the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we tend to function right along without them, this gentleness and this self-control. Um, I really find that they're probably more convicting in the absence of them than maybe some of the others. The Spirit produces gentleness, or you could put in parentheses, meekness, because it's translated both ways in our, in our translations, gentleness. And we'll follow the same pattern that we looked at last week as, as asking the question, what and why and how. And the first question is, is what does God's gentleness look like? And it, it truly is, as, as I've read in, in um, a book called Gentle and Lowly, about Christ's love for us. It's the idea of stooping down with the gentle spirit to help. It's a helpfulness. I, you see on the screen here Isaiah 40. Would you turn to Isaiah 40 and, and look at these descriptions of our God? Isaiah chapter 40. And I was, as I was reading this this week, it, it, it described to me how, how God is in His power and His gentleness. This mighty God who is very gentle. Verse 10, we, we see the sovereign Lord comes with power. And surely the nations are, are like a, a drop in the bucket. They're nothing, just a drop. Verse 15, they are regarded as dust on the scales. <laughs> I had to think about that picture. So why would scales have dust on them? Because we're ignoring the scales. <laughs> we don't want to go there. And so they Two things in the household that often have dust on them, the scales and the family Bible. That shouldn't be. But, but it just, it's just kind of just the dust on that scale. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. To whom will you compare me, he asked. Or who is my equal, he asked, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one. Have you ever watched that happen? Just one star shows up at a time as... As dusk comes along and night arrives, 
and he calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, verse 25 and 26, not one of them is missing. He holds it all in his hands. That's a mighty God, correct? And our scriptures do reveal that God is a God of power, a creative power, and a sustaining sovereign power to whom we answer. He is the Almighty. But then settled into the middle of the descriptions here of God's power are these words in verse 11. Can you look here in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11? He tends his flock like a shepherd. Now that's a great picture. A shepherd who cares for his sheep. He is the good shepherd. And he gathers the lambs in his arms, a place of safety, and carries them close to his heart, communicating you're safe with me and I care about you. He gently leads, he gently leads, this sovereign almighty God gently leads those who have young. This word gentleness in the New Testament Proutus is speaking of a powerful, humble helpfulness. Powerful, humble helpfulness. And that's what Christ does for you. This Almighty God came to this earth in a humble way to help you with something that you could not do for yourself. He brought to you the way of salvation. A humble helpfulness. Powerful, but humble. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, just to take a peek at this on our way back. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. We read of meekness, and that's the word we're looking at here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. This proutest, this meekness and gentleness. It's a sweet reasonableness. Epiaios. And notice what this meekness and this gentleness is do you see what it is it's of christ that's who he is and that's what he provides for us my god almighty in christ is gentle and helpful and reasonable so our definition we have in the bulletin there, a humble strength which controls our response to others that communicates reasonableness and care without ignoring confrontation, while not ignoring confrontation. Now, why did I include that? Gentleness is not a weakness that avoids problems. And that leads me to this. Why don't we, why don't we demonstrate gentleness in a true heart? Why don't we do that? Well, two problems. In reality, we don't want to get run over by everybody else. And if I don't stand up for my own rights, who is? And that's the theme of our world. You have to stand up for yourself. Defend yourself. If you don't give people a piece of your mind, they're going to take it from you. So stand up for yourself. Be defensive. That's a problem. That's not what Christ is. But there's another way that this shows up, and it's through what I would call avoidance or a, a passion to pacify there's a trend in our day in response to a heavy-handed sinful demanding approach to parenting that says just be gentle 
Now, certainly, that's the Holy Spirit's work, right? We should be gentle. It certainly is. But I think we need to make sure we're thinking of what gentleness truly is and not come to it with a false comprehension. You see, here's the problem. We, we just want to not have to face the problem. We'd rather just pacify. And so we end up making excuses. A little two- or three-year-old is just throwing a temper tantrum and screaming at the top of his lungs. And the parent says, Oh, I know you're being sad. What's the problem here? We're trying to avoid what gentleness really does do, and that is, in a reasonable, caring way, confronts a problem. That's what this word means. And the Holy Spirit is going to prompt you with this scripture. Would you look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 25? I remember when this verse was first emphasized to me. 2 Corinthians chapter, 20, chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. I was a young youth pastor. There was a day when I was young and I was a youth pastor. And our senior pastor, Dr. Keltner, said, pulled me aside and said, Dave, I want to I show you something in the Scriptures that you need to keep in mind. All right? So you can understand why he was probably saying this to me. Because I needed it. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. <laughs> They're not treating you fairly in the process, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with what? Gentleness. That's this word that is speaking of a, there's power, but there's humility, and you're helping, and it's going to help solve a problem. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. And notice this, God may perhaps grant them repentance it's up to god to do this repentance thing god may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge a knowledge of the truth second timothy chapter 2 verse 24 and 25 come back to that one again and think about how god wants to use that in your life with those that you should be encouraging and helping to follow and repent and have the knowledge of the truth so how does the holy spirit empower this well, it comes down to this. You think like God thinks. And He's given us His Word to think like God thinks. You think like Jesus thinks. Now, how do you do that? Well, you take God's truth and then you apply it to your life. You look at what God has to say and then you follow through and do it. Wisdom is truth applied. Jesus is the way, the truth. And then you use it. James 3, verse 13. Who is wise? He's taking this truth from God. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness of wisdom. That's this word here. And there's a gentleness, verse 8, 17 and 18. There's a gentleness that is open to reason. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11, we read, O man of God. So if you're thinking like God thinks, this is, others can see that you are following God. You are listening to what God has to say. You're walking in wisdom. You're doing what He tells you to do. 
O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. So the, this is something that should be a highlight, should be prominent, just like righteousness and godliness and, and faith and love and steadfastness. These, we would extol those, but gentleness is right there with it. Where, where we, in, in, in a loving concern, showing that we care and we're reasonable, we're dealing with problems. That's gentleness. You don't avoid it. You don't get defensive. But in the same way that Jesus would address the issue, you use that wisdom to address that in life. We'll come back to that here in just a moment. There's a second way, there's a second uh, attribute here of the fruit of the Spirit that we want to address this morning. It's the last one in the list, in verse 25, verse, verse 23, excuse me. Self-control. We have it translated self-control. So what does God's temperance look like now how many of you had jumped ahead in your outline there in your bulletin and you had already written in self-control anybody well why did i switch it to temperance it's self-control um in our kjv it's temperance and that word temperance has 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 gotten a bad rap over the years probably because of the temperance movement way back 100 years ago, whatever. It's kind of old-fashioned. We don't use that word anymore. But it's a great word. And it's, at its root is, is the idea of being tempered. Uh, maybe Dan is working with the children or something like that right now, Dan Wells. But um, I could ask him. He's, he's one of those engineers that is, he's a metallurgical engineer. That, that seems like somebody has to be really smart to understand that. But you're handling metals and you, you, learning how to make them stronger. And to temper a metal means that you're improving the hardness and the elasticity of a steel item or other metals by reheating it and then cooling it. And so that by, by doing that, you're tempering it. You're, you're giving it a strength to be able to remain strong under more pressure. That's what this word is. Self-control is temperance. It's being strong enough for the trial. So it comes down to this. You are strengthened to have strong hold over your desires. Now what would this temperance look like? This, this self-control. Well, you go to Matthew chapter 4. What's in Matthew chapter 4? What do you see there? The temptation of Christ. And all the way through it, he's being tempted. And how does he handle it? Hey, Satan, it is written. It is written. It is written. You go back to the Scriptures and you're strengthened by the use of the Scriptures. It is written. The whole time you're quoting the Scriptures. So that's why Scripture memory is so essential. It's a discipline, and it's a, it's a matter of, of being strong in your mind so that, that it's there when you need it, and the Holy Spirit can draw it to your application quickly. So let me urge you to keep on working on that matter of Scripture memory that applies to specific issues you know you're going to be facing. So why don't we 
display (laughs) self-control. Well, it's uncomfortable. Or you might even say it's painful. We avoid pain, so, so, but, but in the process of avoiding pain, we're creating situations where we're not strong enough. We're weak in the midst of the trial. I'm going to do something today I never thought I'd find myself doing right now. You see, when you're in Georgia, we lived there for, a quite a, for 10 years. When you're in Georgia, there's one thing you don't have anything good to say about, and that's Alabama. All right, because Alabama always beats Georgia until this year. All right, and so you, I mean, the only reason you don't like Alabama is because they always win. They're good. All right, and they have a good coach, and their coach had something to say that I think deserves to be repeated. He said this: If you can handle the pain of discipline, then you'll never have to deal with the pain of disappointment. Is, that on, is, there, is there a slide that fits that? I'd like, maybe we can look to that. If you can handle the pain of discipline, then you'll never have to deal with the pain of disappointment. You're prepared for the trial. Now, obviously, his context is <laughs> playing ball, but there's, there's something much more important for us in doing the battle that we have in the spiritual life against the spiritual wickedness in high places. I remember as a teenager memorizing 1 Corinthians 9, 27. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I, I have to do this thing of discipline. Now, how does this develop? How does the Holy Spirit develop this self-control in our lives. Well, the Spirit of God will impress us with what to do. And that takes us to the spiritual disciplines. We use that phrase, but we're talking about Bible reading and prayer and Scripture memory and, and, and journaling and, and all these different things that, that we're, we're, we're disciplining ourselves, we're doing the hard work in order to be able to have some strength to our lives. Now, that's not a morality thing. That's not I'm better than you thing. It's I need this exercise. So if you can think of weightlifting, you think of the spiritual disciplines. You're weightlifting with your Bible reading. You're weightlifting with your Bible study. You're weightlifting with your, with your participation in a, in a fellowship group. You're, 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 doing, you're doing the hard thing to get, be able to be stronger. Your, your, your scripture memory routines and just a little bit here and a little bit there and you start adding and pretty soon you can add more weight and and you're making progress you're getting stronger that's a spiritual discipline well the holy spirit will say you need to do this it's worth it go ahead and do the work it's going to come in there's going to be a day when you'll be glad you've done this see the holy spirit will prompt you about that now what do you do with that well a lot of times the same thing we do with our exercise oh I'll get around to it later. Maybe tomorrow. I just don't want to today. Learn to respond to the Holy Spirit saying, hey, it's worth it. It's worth it to do this extra effort. You'll be stronger. That's why we have Leadership Journey and the Grove Discipleship Ministries here. Um, For 24 weeks throughout, you know, from October all the way to Easter, we're meeting once a week, 
and we're, we're, we're addressing these kinds of things to, to be stronger for the battle. And the Holy Spirit comes alongside, and here's one you can use, and here's another one, and boy, you can use this, and, and others coming alongside to encourage you in this, and you're not alone. And, and it's like, like in weightlifting, you, you've got to have a partner to help you keep on doing the work. You've got to have a coach to push you along with it. It's so helpful. The Holy Spirit will impress upon you what you should do. Learn to respond to that. See that as a positive thing. That's not a legalistic thing. That's a, I want to be stronger with the Holy Spirit's empowerment of that. So have somebody that's pushing you a little bit to be stronger in the Lord and the power of His might. But then also the Spirit of God will impress on us what we don't do. And the list is endless. Look at Galatians 5, verses 19 through 21, just prior to these verses. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry. Doesn't that describe our culture? Sorcery, drug use, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So this is not a complete list, but you get the idea. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, this list and others, will not inherit. By the way, who inherits? Your children inherit. So what's, what's being emphasized here is a relationship. If, if you're doing these things, it's indicating there's no relationship there with somebody that has something for you as an inheritance. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. So there are so many others that we could add to this list. Gluttony, uh, vulgarity, laziness, go to the ant, thou sluggard, just right on down the list. And that's not the point right now, but the point is that there will be things that the Holy Spirit is saying, no, don't go there, don't do that. Now, that's where... God, the Holy Spirit, will be saying to you, you need to be under my control. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. Those inner working ways. Then there's kindness and goodness and faithfulness, demonstration of the life, and gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law now why does galatians 5:23 end with against such things there is no law how many of you have had that same question terrible i definitely have where what's that what's that talking about is it just that there's a, there are no rules left, or, or I don't need rules, or why would that be there? Against such things, there is no law. It really has been an, an enigma in my mind, and so quite often I just kind of skip over it. Against such things, there is no law. Now I'm looking at that, I'm thinking the quotation mark should have been on the other side of the question mark. How many of you were thinking that? Or maybe it's the right way. But really the question is, why is that there? Against such things there is no law. What's it saying? Well, first let's ask this question. Why do we have to have laws? 
Well, sinners sin in stupid ways. And so we need rules, we need laws, otherwise society becomes chaos. What are they thinking when they're saying, defund the police? Do they not know the sin nature is if there's not somebody there stopping the lawlessness, it's going to become a lawless culture. It just happened. And what's happened? So the, the, the very nature of mankind, because of our fallen sinful nature, needs laws. But there's got to be something more than just rules or laws, right? I attended a high school and a college. It was a wonderful experience, a great, great environment, a very, very clean, happy environment. It was a Christian school. Uh, however, there were a ton of rules. <laughs> there were a ton of rules. Why? Well, Someone, somewhere along the line, did something incredibly stupid, and so as a means of keeping others from doing something incredibly stupid, the school would establish a new rule. And every once in a while, we're going to add these rules to the rule book. And, you know, <laughs> and over the years, those rules multiplied, kind of like rabbits, you know. And most of them made perfect sense to me. In fact, the rules that we had at school were pretty much what I had to live by at home. It was just the way we lived how I grew up. However, the sheer number of those rules at that school became a burden. And the reputation is, oh, that's the school with all the rules. And you know what the response was? Rebellion. And I remember thinking, something is missing in the heart of, not, not so much about the rules, but in the heart of the students towards those rules. So that leads me to a second question. What would motivate me to keep the rules? I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with the rule. It's just there. And what my response to it is realizing, helping me realize there's something in me that needs help. So what would help that? What the Holy Spirit does is a powerful thing, and it's very motivating. And here's what I want us to find. The Holy Spirit provides for you a motivation that rises above just keeping the rules. Against such there is no law. Something greater within you begins to control you. And let me show you what that is. And it's very clearly stated in verse 24. So we've read the fruit of the Spirit in verses 22 and 23. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 24, what do you read? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Who's it talking to? Those who belong to Christ. Christian, you belong to Christ. You belong to Christ. Let that sink in. Remember whose you are. You belong to Christ. The Holy Spirit is impressing upon you a relationship with Jesus, a relationship that is so strong the rules are not the thing that keep you from doing something sinful and stupid. It's your relationship that's more important to you than that. Against such things there is no law. 
You go above and beyond. Why? Because someone is watching? No, because you belong to somebody that you love and you know loves you. Parents, there are two ways you can go about parenting. One way is you can insist on your child keeping the rules and if they don't keep the rules, there are consequences. I'm not against consequences, but I mean, that's the whole point. They, and they realize, they come up thinking, yeah, I, I better or else I'm in trouble. How many of you grew up that way? If I, don't, don't raise your hand, but I mean, if, if, I, if I do something wrong, I'm in trouble. Oh no. Or you can help your child discover how to love Jesus Against such things there is no law. They begin to have an identity. Now that's a big phrase nowadays. What's your identity? Their identity is, I belong to Jesus. I'm a Christian. Let that be your identity. I belong to Christ. I'm Christ's. Your identity is, you belong to somebody. You belong to Christ. As a parent... You are the voice of the Holy Spirit to your child, reminding them whose they are. You're not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is prompting you to help them hear what the Holy Spirit wants them to hear. So you have to speak up. You have to live this fruit of the Spirit for them to grasp that. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, right on down the list. But then you are the one that's helping them realize that loving Jesus is more important than getting my way. Are you grasping this? And then uh, there's a day that they, they, they start to hear the voice of the Spirit using the Word of God, and they've, they've, they have this relationship with Jesus. And so they, they want to please the Lord rather than having their own way. They want to please the Lord rather than doing wrong. So whether at home or away, we make our aim to please Jesus. Here's how this works. First of all, my kids need to see in me the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That needs to be part of my life. They need to see something that's real there. And then, when they're going through that, uh-oh, they did wrong, they broke the rule, whatever, do you just reprimand and say you're, not, you're, you're, you're grounded for six years until you're out of this house? <laughs> I'm not a fan of that. You ask questions. And there are three questions I want you to grasp that are so important at that moment. Number one, you ask this question. What did you do? Well, it was so and so. No, what did you do? Just what did you do? What happened? What did you do? And let them acknowledge what happened. Not blaming somebody else. Oh, boy, we all do that. But just acknowledging what we did. What did you do? Ask that question first. Second, ask this. What were you thinking? They probably weren't. <laughs> what were you thinking? 
what wasn't fair, or I deserve this, or I wanted. Okay? But the third question is most important. What happened? What did you, what were you thinking? Here we go. Now, what does Jesus want? You see how you switched it from focus on them to focus on, on Christ. And that changes the whole, and then if there's not a desire to want to please Jesus, then you have a whole different issue. You're really reaching the heart. You're not just controlling the outward responses. What did you do? What were you thinking? And what does Jesus want? Is that important to you? And if you love Jesus, you're going to want to please Jesus. And that's really at the heart of this. That's what's greater than all of these rules. And so when the Holy Spirit is making much of Christ, who is love, who is joy, who is our peace, who does show us what patience is, who is good and kind and faithful, who is gentle, who is temperance, self-controlled, embodied. His whole life was perfect obedience. Christ is all and all we need. And so you want Him rather than my way. Then there's a day that comes where they hear from the Holy Spirit on their own. There's a relationship with Christ. And so you don't have to be examining every action because you, they're responding to Jesus who is with them. You're not having to control every, every step. That they, you're not always having to be the, 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 <clears throat> the police or whatever. The Nazis or I don't know. Not, not, that's probably the wrong thing to say right now. But they have a heart for Jesus rather than having to keep the rules. You don't do away with the rules. All of them are, are needful. But you really get down to why they're doing it. And when the Holy Spirit is making much of Jesus Christ in you, you're not focused on rule keeping. You're focused on the Holy Spirit who is making much of Jesus Christ. If you go to John chapter 14, that's the job of the Holy Spirit, to make much of Jesus Christ. Chapter 15, abiding in Christ, the Holy Spirit will use that. Chapter 16, He's there for you through the trials. The Holy Spirit is there to make much of Jesus Christ. So here in Galatians, we see this grace of the gospel, chapters 1 and 2, showing us a relationship with Christ, chapters 3 and 4, that's empowered by the Holy Spirit to remind us of who we belong to what it's all about, this relationship that overpowers our dependence on the law. So two takeaways. Identify the work of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Watch how that's happening in your life and thank the Holy Spirit, thank God that that's brought to your mind and if that's happening, that's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in your life, and it tastes so good. And then you want to examine your motives for why you do what you do. Are you at a place where you can say, against such things there is no law? Are you at a place where it's more important to you to please Jesus than to get your own way or to have your, your, your passions met? It really comes down to that. Do you love Jesus? And he's, is He real to you? 
And are you realizing the Holy Spirit is helping you love Jesus from your heart? Against such things, there is no law. Lord, I would ask that you would teach us to get past the elementary childishness of how most people live and begin to realize the value of a relationship with you that is eternal. And Lord, we can come to the place where we love you because you first loved us. Lord, our culture is all about pleasing self. But Lord, may we see that transformed to pleasing Jesus. And may we see that the Holy Spirit makes much of Jesus Christ so that we can experience your love in a very real way. Your joy, your peace, your patience, your goodness, your kindness, your faithfulness, your gentleness, and your self-control. You've given us the Holy Spirit to indwell every believer all the time, all day long, 24-7, to be watching how Jesus Christ is real and living all these truths in us. Oh God, would you continue this work? I pray, God, that if there's someone here today that does not know you as Savior, has never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit drawing them to salvation, that right now there would be a longing for this, this cleansing by the blood of the Lamb. Jesus. He would experience the love of God, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in their own heart right now, they would say, God, I want that. Would you show me this eternal salvation, this relationship with you that's real, that helps me understand life right now and forever and have that peace that passes all understanding? God, I want that. And then, Lord, help them, following these moments we have here, as we wrap up our service, to spend time talking with somebody else right here in this room about how to find Jesus Christ as Savior. I pray, God, that you would move in our hearts to understand your love, and may that empower us for what it means to live life now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.